when Trev asked me to preach this morning, he said, we're kind of in between, right? Like we're starting Advent next week, and then uh, the last couple of weeks, we just finished up our stewardship and giving season. And so um, he said, hey, dealer's choice. You talk about whatever you want to. And I, I told him that is a little overwhelming. Like I love the Bible. There's a lot in there. I don't, it's hard to choose. Like what, what's the one thing that I'm going to, uh, you know, stand up there and, and talk about? And so I said, how about, uh, can I just keep going from our study in Ephesians, right? right? We started a few months back this uh, verse-by-verse study of the book of Ephesians. Um, and I said, can, can I just do the next section there? And he said, yeah, that's great. So for one week and one week only, we're back in Ephesians uh, for just a brief, a brief look at Ephesians chapter 1, verses 18 through 23. So that's the text that we're going to be in this morning if you want to start turning there in your Bibles. Um, but a little bit of background just on Ephesians as a reminder. Usually when we're in uh, one of these studies, we kind of get to keep going for a long time and we have a lot of really good context. So here's just like a quick recap of, of what Ephesians is, right? Like it's Paul's letter to the church in Ephesus and he likely wrote it around the year AD 62. So it was super fresh, um, only about you know 29-ish years since Jesus left the earth and really just a... Uh, a great account of his uh, things that he wanted to communicate to this group that he loved really dearly. Paul spent probably about three years with the church in Ephesus, which of all the places on his missionary journey is the place that he probably camped out and parked and spent the most time uh, with that group of people. And so he got to know them really well. Um, he got to know a ton of the people there, but it's also one of his only epistles that you're not going to see uh, a shout out to a specific person, right? Like at the beginning or at the end, usually there's like a, hey, tell uh, Bob and Sarah, I love them, tell so-and-so, like, thanks for letting me stay at their house. There's not any uh, personal shout-outs in Ephesians. It, it really is as much a letter to the church in Ephesus uh, that day uh, as it is to the church that goes on throughout time that we are a part of as well, right? Like, the things that are in this letter are relevant uh, not just for the people in that contextual time period in AD 62. They're also relevant for us sitting here today uh, who are believers in Christ. And so, uh, it's a really, really uh, wonderful book, and we're kind of jumping like right back in right now to our verse-by-verse uh, -verse study. And so um, Ephesus, like culturally, was an important city in Rome. It's set on a, uh, the western part of Asia on the coast, and there's a, a bunch of trade happened through there, a bunch of travel happened through there. And so Paul for sure knew that this letter was going to get distributed around to a bunch of other Christians, um, and then, you know, obviously it made it all the way to us here today, and so as, as part of the Holy Scripture. So that's kind of setting the stage for Ephesians, for where we're at this morning. Um, before we dive into the Scripture, let's just take a moment and let's pray uh, and ask God to, to work in our hearts this morning. Father, we thank you uh, for this group of believers that are gathered here um, at the place called Divine Community Church, where we can look at your word um, where we can learn from it. Lord, I pray um, as we look out, and I know there's a bunch of things going on uh, with Thanksgiving week, and I, I've got uh, a wife and one kid home sick today. Like we, There's just a lot swirling around uh, in our lives. At, at, there's a lot to cause us busy. There's a lot to cause distraction. And I pray that for a moment that you would help us to, to really settle our hearts and settle our minds to come and to focus on what you want to teach us this morning. Um, so take a moment in your own heart, uh, as we do every week, and, and just ask God to teach you something this morning, something specific for your own heart. And 
also, as we do every week, we want to be a church that prays for other people. So take a, take a moment and uh, pray for someone else this morning that God would work in their heart. Maybe it's someone that you just got to meet and shook their hand for the first time today. Um, maybe it's someone that you've known for a really long time. To ask God to work in someone else's life this morning. Father, we thank you for the truth of your word. We thank you that it is living and active. We thank you that uh, it speaks to us. We thank you that it is the same as it was uh, when Paul wrote it and that it is uh, relevant to teach and correct and rebuke and challenge us in our own lives today. We pray that you, through your spirit, would come and work so that you might be glorified. In Christ's name, amen. So the passage we're going to be in uh, is really kind of jumping in in the middle of uh, where we had stopped in verse 17. So I'm going to start by reading in Ephesians 1:15, just because it's a little bit easier to kind of pick up the full thought of what's going on here. So we're going to start in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 15. It says, For this reason, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints, I have not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ... The glorious Father may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. I pray also that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints and his incomparably great power for us who believe. That power is like the working of his mighty strength, which he exerted in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every title that can be given, not only in this present age, but also in the one to come. And God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. So like I said, we're really kind of jumping in here in the middle of this big prayer that Paul is telling the Ephesian church that he's praying for them. In verse 17, which was the last thing that we looked at about three weeks ago, Paul is asking God uh, to give the church a spirit of wisdom and revelation so that they can know him better. And then he goes on to say in verse 18, where we're picking up this morning, he says, I pray also that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened. And this idea of the heart in the Bible is obviously about more than just like the heart, which is the organ inside of us, right? Like I'm no doctor, but I do know for sure that the heart inside of you has no eyes on it, right? Like the, the heart inside you is something very different. And I really like what uh, Vine's uh, expository dictionary says about the heart as it is uh, in a biblical context. It calls the heart the seat of moral nature and spiritual life, the seat of grief, joy, the desires, the affections, the perceptions, the thoughts, the understanding, the reasoning powers, the imagination, the conscience, the intentions, and the purpose that a person has. Like I think that the heart in the Bible is so much more than just, um, you know, kind of a physical part of us. Like, it is a lot of our spiritual being wrapped up into this thing that is inside of us. And what Paul is praying here is that the eyes of our heart, like this, this spirit within us, would be enlightened. 
And this prayer is something that um, is not new to Paul. It's actually something that we see to be a part of Jesus' calling that God has given him. If we look back in Isaiah chapter 42, starting in verse 6, as Isaiah is prophesying about what the Lord's servant will do, he's talking about Jesus, and he says, I, the Lord, have called you in righteousness. I will take hold of your hand. I will keep you and will make you to be a covenant for the people and a light for the Gentiles to open the eyes that are blind, to free the captives from prison and to release from the dungeon those who sit in darkness. You see, part of Jesus' ministry was to open the eyes of the blind. John chapter 9 is just this one whole chapter talking about the story where Jesus heals a blind man, and then the Pharisees are mad about it, and then Jesus talks about how he's not just here to heal physical blindness, but he's here to address spiritual blindness as well. Like, it was a core part of Jesus' ministry to go around and opening the eyes that needed to be opened so that they could see. And this was a ministry that Paul had given, or that Jesus had given to Paul as well. In Acts chapter 26, when Paul is uh, standing before King Agrippa, and he's basically giving his testimony, he's standing there and he's talking about how he ended up uh, in front of him and what what he's doing there, really. He's telling him uh, about how, uh, when he was on the road to Damascus, the Lord Jesus appeared to him and what Jesus said. And so when we look into Acts 26, starting in verse 17, this is Jesus talking to Paul, and he says, I am sending you to them to open their eyes and to turn them from darkness to light. And from the power of Satan to God, so that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by me, by faith in me. Jesus had received this ministry from God to open the eyes of the blind. And he had then taken this ministry and also given it to Paul. And now what we see Paul doing here is praying that the eyes of our hearts, that the eyes of the church may be enlightened. Like this is the enactment of the ministry that Paul has been called to, right? That he spent all this time pouring into this church and what he's praying for is that their eyes may be opened just like uh, Jesus sent him to do, just like Jesus was sent by God to do. Like this idea that the eyes of their hearts may be enlightened in order that they may know the hope to which he has called you. It's like this really big deal that our eyes can be opened so we can know the hope to which we have been called. And what this hope is, it ends up becoming a super important question, right? And this hope actually is, um, in a nutshell, the gospel of Jesus Christ. And if I'm describing the gospel to you quickly and, and concisely, I would say this, that you, me, and everyone are dead in our sin, that we can do nothing to be spared from the wrath of God that is due us. But Jesus, God's one and only Son, came into the world while we were still sinners and bore our punishment on the cross because he loved us. And if we confess our deep need for the grace the Lord Jesus provides and believe in our hearts that God raised him from the dead, we will be saved by his grace through faith alone. That's the beauty of the gospel. And I want to just take a quick aside. Um, If that's the first time that you've ever heard the gospel message or it it hits you differently today, I would love to talk with you after uh, today's sermon about what the gospel really means, about why Christians have hope and get to have hope. Um, so if you have any questions about that, please come find me afterwards, and I would love to talk to you about the hope that, that Christians can have, because that's what we're going to talk a lot about um, throughout the rest of this morning. But for those of you that are Christians, um, as Paul is praying for the church that they would know the hope to which they have been called, it brings up this uh, super important question that gets asked again in 1 Peter uh, chapter 3.15. And so if you want to turn over to 1 Peter 3.15, or I'll just read it to you right now, uh, it says... Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you 
to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect. So we see Paul praying for the church to, be, to, know, to have their, the eyes of their hearts enlightened so that they can know the hope to which they have been called. And Paul has this ministry that was not just about uh, a few people in one generation knowing the truth of the gospel, right? Like it was a, a ministry of multiplication and creating disciples so that people would continue to tell other people about how their lives had been changed and why they had this hope. That's why uh, we see the same challenge coming from the Apostle Peter in this passage. I'll read it to you again. It says, always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. Now, always being prepared and being ready to tell it to everyone means that we're not just ready to tell it to the people that are easy to tell it to, right? That we are prepared to talk about the hope that we have as Christians to whoever wants to know why we have that hope. And Paul's ministry being one of multiplication means that he he was teaching people so that they would be able to teach other people. And, and it's cool to see carrying on. We know from church history that in AD 431, there was a super important church council that was hosted in Ephesus, right? Like this church carried on um, from when Paul wrote this letter in AD 62, and he lived and met with and taught with them before that, and that the church in Ephesus stayed uh, for hundreds of years after that, like literally uh, probably 100 more years than this, the United States has been a country, right? Like uh, a super long time there was a church in the city of Ephesus because of the work that Paul did on his missionary journey, creating disciples who also made other disciples. And they were able to make other disciples because they had a deep knowledge of the hope to which they had been called because the eyes of their hearts had been enlightened. And so one thing that I want to, uh, a challenge that was given to me uh, when I was, I think in high school, maybe in college, I'm not really sure, so sorry whichever pastor in my life like, gave me this challenge that I don't remember specifically. Um, but a challenge that was given to me was to be able to write the gospel message down in my own words in four sentences or less. So whether you've been a Christian for uh, 70-something years, or uh, you're just starting out in your spiritual journey with the Lord. Um, it's a wonderful challenge and a wonderful exercise, because when you write something down, it really forces you to be able to distill the thoughts and pick the words that you want to say, right? Like when you're in the moment and someone asks you a question, you just kind of say the things, if you're like me, you say the things that you, uh, you just say, instead of like choosing every word super carefully. And when you write something down, uh, it forces you to like pick every single word that you want it to be. And uh, that's where I think like writing down in your own words, that's still obviously true to what the scriptures tell us, writing down the gospel message um, in a way that you can memorize and repeat so that you are prepared like 1 Peter 3.15 calls us to be, uh, is a wonderful exercise. And so if you've never done that in your life, I wanna encourage you to, to write that down, the gospel in four sentences or less. Um, and see what it says. My, my version of the gospel that I just read to you uh, ended up being three sentences. I, I kept it under four. But um, you can go up to four if you want to and be able to do that. Um, it's a wonderful exercise, just challenging us to be able to know, um, to know the truth and to know it in a repeatable way that you can share with other people. Um, because it's super important. It, it is the life-changing hope that we have. And picking back up in verse 18, as, after we... Our, the eyes of our hearts are enlightened, and we know the hope to which he has called us, the riches, and we know the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and his incomparably great power for us who believe. 
that power is like the working of his mighty strength, which he exerted in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms. Now, this glorious inheritance and great wealth that is being poured out on the saints uh, is something that we should not overlook, right? Like, Paul is really praying that, that a few things would be known, right? He's praying that they would know the hope to which they have been called. He's praying that they would know the riches of the glorious inheritance in the saints, and then that they would know the incomparably great power of God that is for us who believe. Like, he's praying these three things for the Ephesian church. And this glorious inheritance that we have um, goes hand in hand with the incomparably great power of God that is for us. This power is, uh, the power of God is awesome, right? And as I was trying to write down some words to describe the power of God, I was like, it's pretty hard to do. Like, this is the power of God that spoke creation into existence, that put the breath of life into you and to me, that has been working out this glorious plan of salvation since the beginning of time. Like, the power of God is incredibly powerful, and I personally struggle to pick words in the English language to be able to get that across. And uh, when we look at how Paul was describing it, he uses like four different words, which pretty much mean power, uh, in the Greek, in the end of verse 19, to be able to uh, kind of c- communicate to us how great the power of God really is. So if you're a Greek scholar, please forgive me while I butcher these four Greek words. But the first one is dumanis, which means power like dynamo or dynamite. Like I think of like boom kind of power, right? Like big power from God. The second one is energeia, uh, which is the word translated, at least in the NIV, for working in verse 19, and that is like energy kind of power. The third is kratos, which is like mighty. My Bible says mighty strength, or yours might say mighty power. Um, But the kratos, like mighty power, force kind of power. And then that last word in verse 19, mine says strength, yours might say power, like I said, uh, which is iskis, which is like a forcefulness, a might, an ability, and a power. Um, it's like kind of funny when you read uh, a verse in the Bible and it, and it says the word power like maybe three or four times, right? Like the power of God is just like the power of God is the power of God is the power of God. Like Paul is telling us how great the power of God is, um, but human language like really falls short to be able to capture how great God's amazing power actually is. And it's important because we really need God's power in our lives, right? I love what uh, Pastor Warren Wiersbe said um, when talking about this power in light of the great inheritance that God is bestowing upon the saints um, that he's talking about in verses 18 and 19 here. Um, Pastor Wiersbe said that we are too weak to appreciate and too weak to appropriate the wealth that is our inheritance as believers. Like we are too weak to truly appreciate. And I think that that is so true, right? Like not only does our language fail to be able to capture how great the power of God is, but I think my mental capacity just really like taps out pretty fast when I think about how vast and how great God's amazing power is. Um, so like we're too weak to appreciate even what God has done for us without his power helping us understand uh, what it is that he has done. And then second of all, as he bestows this great wealth and inheritance upon us as saints, uh, our ability to appropriate it um, just falls incredibly short. Like, we are not good stewards of the great gift of salvation that God has given us and the great power that is for us who believe. Because this is the same power that 
uh, raised Christ from the dead. It tells us in verse 20. This is the same power that seated Christ at the right hand of the Father in the heavenly realms, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, every title or every name that can be given, not only in the present age, it's the same power that sets Christ above all these things in the age to come, right? Like, this is unbelievable power. Um, and I just stand here and confess, I don't really understand much about how that works. But we need the power of God to be able to teach us to do that. And when we think about this great wealth that he has given us and our ability to steward it and why we need his power, I think about, I just finished listening to um, this way too long of a biography on John D. Rockefeller. And this guy made like right an unbelievable amount of money. Um, and one of the things that I was really struck with was that he made so much money um, that when his son kind of like took over and started giving all these, uh, what would have been billions and billions of dollars in today's money away, it was like, crushing for John Jr. Like the guy had like physical ailments from the weight of trying to be able to give away this vast fortune, right? And I mean, he was writing like millions of dollars of checks and endowing universities and like starting hospitals and like doing amazing things, which like it was super cool the way that um, all that money they made like drove a lot of society forward in, in some regards. Um, but also uh, was an amazing picture of how like crippling the weight of trying to steward something that you are not equipped to steward um, can be. And so he, he, John Jr. had nervous breakdowns. He like had to just like step away and take some breaks and go like hang out in Europe for a little bit. Like they, uh, it didn't, it didn't go super well for them. He was fairly effective in giving all that money away, but. Um, he did not do it as well as it could have done because the weight of that wealth was just too much. And I think that's a fantastic picture for uh, the weight of the wealth uh, of this glorious inheritance that God gives us. Like It is more than any one of us in our own strength or in our own power is able to effectively steward. We can try as we might, and some of, some of you are very talented people that can bear a lot, but uh, we cannot effectively steward the, the gifts that God has given us and this amazing inheritance unless we do it in and through God's power. And it says in 19 that his incomparably great power is for us who believe. Like God does not shortchange us. He does not, uh, like John D. Rockefeller did, just be like, here's all the money. Sorry, you can't handle it. Like he gives us this amazing uh, wealth of an, of an inheritance in him through the blessing of salvation and his incredible power, and he equips us to be able to steward it well. So it's, it's, it's also a great reminder that there is an enemy out there who wants to take away what it is that God gives us, right? And so to be able to weather the attacks that the enemy will bring in your life and in my life, we, we're not gonna be able to stand up to, him, to Satan without the power of God, right? Like in my own strength, I will fail to be able to resist temptation. In my own strength, I will fail and have failed to be able to resist the things that the world puts in front of me and says that I should try to do in my own power and my own strength to be able to live my own life. I'm just, I'm not gonna be able to do it and you're not gonna be able to do it either unless we lean into the power that God gives us. And uh, where that takes us here, moving, moving further through the passage into verse 22, um, after talking about how um, God's great power is for us who believe and how this great power has set Christ in this amazing place, it says that God has placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. 
So Christ has been appointed and set up as the head of the church. And we, the church, are his body. Right? So uh, it kind of goes without saying. Like I said earlier, I'm not a doctor, but I do know a body needs a head. Um, if a body doesn't have a head, you lop my head off right now, I'm done, right? And you can't just put uh, anybody else's head back on me, right? Like, it's not like a light bulb situation. It doesn't work like that. Uh, like, if, I, if a body doesn't have its proper head, the body dies. And I think that we see examples of churches that have lost their head, that no longer have Christ as the head, that have replaced Christ with either a person or an idea or a modern thought process where they have walked away from the headship of Christ uh, and are either dead or quickly on the path towards dying. I don't know. I know a chicken can run around with its head cut off for a little bit, but like, eventually something without its head dies, right? Um, the body needs to be connected to its head because uh, a headless body is dead. And our body, our head as the body of Christ is Christ himself. And I'm reminded of 1 Corinthians chapter 12, which talks a lot about how we are one body with many parts. And uh, 1 Corinthians 12, verse 12 through 31, I'm gonna pick and choose a couple of verses here as we kind of try to breeze through this passage for the, for the sake of time. But it says that the body is a unit, though it is made up of many parts, and though all its parts are many, they form one body. So it is with Christ. Skipping down to verse 21, it says, the eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. And the head cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. On the contrary, those parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. In verse 26, it says, If one part suffers, every part suffers with it. If one part is honored, every part rejoices with it. Now you are the body of Christ, and each one of you is a part of it. This amazing idea that we as the church get to be the body of Christ Jesus, the Son of God, is, is truly remarkable to me as I think about it. Um, and, and we, as a member of the body, all have a job to do. Now, I don't know, I can't sit up here and say whether you are like the big toe or the strongest muscle or some part of the body that's like super exciting or some part of the body that's maybe not super exciting. Um, but what I can tell you is with 100% certainty is that God has created each and every one of you with unique talents, gifts, and abilities, and he will call you to do things for the work of the body of Christ. Some of those are gonna be super exciting out in front, uh, and people are gonna be like, yay, that's great. But we should remember that whether you are someone that gets to stand up in front or someone that uh, serves behind the scenes, that when one part of the body gets celebrated, like the whole body of Christ is what is getting celebrated. And we should remember how great it is to partake um, in the honor that comes with being a part of the body of Christ, regardless of what role he is called and asked you to play. And he is, <coughs> sorry, I got a little bit of a cough. He's asking you to play a specific role, which he has empowered in giving you the gifts and abilities to be able to carry out. And so as we live as part of the body, uh, remembering that we have a job to do and remembering that God has created each and every one of us to be able to carry out those certain gifts. And I'm so thankful and I remembered, uh, I just am remi reminded of this um, passage so often, like when we stand up here and get to watch our super talented worship team um, lead us in worship. Like, if it was up to me, you guys would be like, wow, turn the microphone off. I don't think that that's, that was your calling and gifting, right? Like, my three chords I can play on the guitar, 
would not be as fun as seeing the ways that God has gifted um, these amazing people to stand up and lead us in worship, right? And that's just like one example of the different ways where God may have given you a talent or an ability to be able to serve um, this body or serve other people um, that we all have to work together to be able to do this thing called the church. And so, um, kind of like wrapping up um, what we're talking about this morning, there's this, um, there's this final idea which I, I could not kind of like really get out of my head. My, the Lord just kept bringing back to my mind is what it says in verse 23 here when it says, um, it says that we are, um, that God, he, the Lord has appointed Christ to be head over everything for the church, which is his body. <coughs> the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. The fullness of him who fills, your translation may say, all in all. And this idea that we are the fullness of him who fills um, just continued to strike me, right? That Christ is the one who fills all in all. Christ is the one who fills everything in every way. But God has made us, the church, his body, <coughs> to be the fullness of Christ. And so um, it, it doesn't say that we are like partially full. It says that we are the fullness of Christ. And so what I want to ask you this morning is, I'm asking myself and I'm asking you, do we feel, do we feel full like, where you sit this morning, do you feel full? This passage tells us that we are full, right? But do we live like we are full? Can other people tell from the way that you live, from the way that you act, from the way that you carry yourself, that you are the fullness of Christ? I am reminded of Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. We keep going. Uh, he anoints my head with oil, my cup runneth over. Your cup can't run over if it's 25% full, if it's 50% full, right? Like that cup doesn't run over. If something's coming out of that cup, it's because the cup has a leak. It's not because the cup's running over. Uh, the cup has to be full to be able to run over, to be able to spill out into other people's lives. And that is the ministry that God has called all of us to as his body, right? The work of Christ is filling all in all. And we get to be the, fill, the fullness of him who fills everything up. And that's where, why we, I think we see Paul praying this prayer over the church at Ephesus. He's praying this prayer for them. Uh, because he wants this for them, because he knows that they need this. And so as we sit here this morning, as we think about how this passage really interacts our lives, what I want to encourage you to and call you to is to be praying these things for yourself, to be praying these things for your family and friends, to be praying these things for your church, that we can be this church just like uh, Paul is asking God to make the church in Ephesus and that we can be uh, a city in Oklahoma City or Edmond or wherever you live, uh, that we can be a city that lives like this for the Lord. And so this is what I want to leave you with, that we would know the hope to which we have been called, that we would truly know the gospel. 
that we would live in God's incomparably great power so that we can properly steward, steward all the things that he has given us so that we can be the fullness and active in Christ's work of filling others up. Let's pray. Dear Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you that it is living and active, and I thank you so much for the ways that you have used it to challenge me this week. Lord, as we look at Paul's prayer for the Ephesians, uh, we see someone who deeply loves other believers and wants to see them grow in their faith and be active and used by God to change lives. And Lord, that is our prayer for this gathering of believers this morning. Lord, we pray that you would help us to truly, that, you, the, that the eyes of our hearts would be enlightened so that we may know the hope to which you have called us. We pray that we would properly steward the riches of the glorious inheritance which you bestow on the saints, Lord, and that we would do it by your power, not our own strength, not, not our own failings, but by your great power which you give us, Lord, so that we can truly be the fullness of Christ. In his name we pray, amen. Let's all stand and sing this final song together, um, taking it into our hearts, sealing up the word of the Lord that has been given this morning. He's coming on the clouds, kings and kingdoms will bow down, they will bow down, yeah. and every chain will break as broken hearts declare his praise. For who can stop the Lord Almighty? i 
today to go from this place and to know the hope to which you have been called to live in the incomparably great power of our God and to uh, go in peace. Amen.